Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It was crazy. We were multitasking like mad, creating systems to streamline processes, and we were doing a lot. You know, the first, I'd say, eight years were, you know, 60, 70-hour weeks. This is Music Made Me Do It, a podcast from Loud and Quiet magazine. I'm Stuart Stubbs, and each week I'll be speaking to people who felt compelled to start their own successful companies within the music industry. Chris Swanson always knew that he'd follow in his father's footsteps as an entrepreneur. He just wasn't sure exactly how until he went to college to study journalism and business. Neither course particularly inspired him, but his hobby as the music director of the student radio station, WIUS, did. Part of his role would involve talking to record labels and radio pluggers, and in doing so it helped demystify the workings of the music industry. And so Chris began promoting DIY shows for bands that came through town, where he'd insist that the artists would keep 100% of the ticket sales. Ultimately, he just wanted to be involved in music culture in some way that was beyond being a fan. The label that he co-founded with his brother Ben and friends Eric Weddle and Jonathan Cargill came from equally humble beginnings. Founded in Bloomington, Indiana in 1996, Secretly Canadian now has three other labels under its belt. Dead Oceans, Jag Jaguar and the crate digging label The Numero Group. They have seven offices across the world and their signed artists include Bon Iver, Yoko Ono, Dinosaur Jr and Angel Olsen. But Secretly started how almost every other record label does with the ambition of releasing just one seven-inch single. For their first release, Chris and his friends chose Jason Molina's Songs Ohio project, and it proved to be a very good decision. Can you remember who it was who first said, we should put out a record, we should do a label? Well, it's interesting. At first, you know, we had other friends at the radio station that were as passionate as we were, and we had maybe seven or eight of us that were going to be a part of it. And when we had our first meeting, and everyone was very motivated, and we thought, okay, we all liked each other and had similar taste. And we got together and be like, okay, so what bands should we reach out to? And that was the most annoying, mind-numbing conversation that just there's like two hours of trying to build a consensus right and it was like this isn't gonna work yeah you know we kind of stepped away and be like this would be like art by committee Mm. and so um quickly kind of focused in it was like you know eric jonathan and i were were really close and um ben at that point was still finishing up high school in fargo north dakota he hadn't moved there yet but he was committed to coming and it was like okay let's we'll be the nucleus we'll you know kind of the four of us will be able to be more have a more focused you know you want to have a point of view i think at the time we didn't really you know we hadn't articulated what we were going for but you know i think you know wanted to have a point of view wanted to have something to say i don't know the four of us made sense and you know and and 
the one, the first act that was real easy for us to all agree on was Songs Ohio, which was Jason Molina's project. He mm. put out a 45 on Will Oldham's imprint on Drag City called Palace Records, and he put out a 45 that, um, like, Eric and I had played to death. You know, right. I'd, it, it was something that, and Jonathan and Ben were way into it too, but we were all very passionate about it, and um, I was emailed pen pals at the time with Edith Frost, who was an artist on Drag City, and, and I, through conversing with her, found out that she she had met Jason and knew him and had conversed with him, and she connected us. Okay. And I sent the most earnest letter ever. I would love to see it, <laughs> um, if I could find it. Um, or the most earnest letter to Jason and said we would let, you know, and he agreed to put out a 45 with us, which ended up being our first release. You know, He, he had a test for us, though. He said... This sounds nice, but I'm playing a show in in, in a month in New York City with um, Alistair Roberts of Appendix Out and and Edith Frost. If you come out, which is like a 17-hour drive from Bloomington, if you come out to the show at Adult Crash, I'll give you the master. You know? And it was very much a test. Okay. And so my my girlfriend at the time and uh, and my brother Ben, we we did the trek all in one day. We arrived at the show, went to the show. Yeah, we were, it was, you know, and it was amazing. Yeah. We so badly wanted to pass that test. And then we put out, the, that was our first release, our first, um, you know, we pressed a thousand, you know, we hand collated every 45. We had Crosshair up and Friends of Jason's up in um, Chicago Design and hand screen print everything. And we hand printed every catalog that we inserted and we, we you know, we bagged and folded all the covers and, and all, all 1,000. And, you know, it, to, you know, at the time, I don't think we'd really, understood the mechanics of selling albums. I think at the time we thought we would just call up shops through word of mouth and sell them, here's, here's three, here's five, you know, and consign records all over the states. We didn't really understand the concept at the time. It, we learned quickly, but of, of a distributor buying in bulk. And it was um, a, a college friend of Jason's, Jason Molina's named Millicent. She was working at Carrot Top or maybe it was Cargo at the time, but uh, she was working at a distributor and was the first distributor to reach out because she'd heard that we were putting out a Songs of Ohio 45 and the first seven inch on Palace Records, they burned through the first 500. They only did one pressing of that ever. Um, so there was a little bit of a demand, a little bit of a base that they wanted to feed and uh, she called up and bought 300. We were, we were gobsmacked. We couldn't believe it. And then um, within a few weeks, we got a European distributor, De Conquerant, reached out and wanted to buy a few hundred. And within a few months, we'd sold out of the, the first pressing of a thousand. And we were like, this is easy. Yeah. You know, this is great. We thought it would take, you know, maybe a year or, or more to sell through them. You know, that was kind of our anecdotal experience on, you know, ordering 45s and, and albums direct from our favorite DIY labels. You know, sometimes they would be out of print, you know, and you couldn't get them. And you'd then, they'd become a hot commodity, you know. Um, because this is like pre-internet, yeah, or like pre. Yeah, we were you know, emailing with something, and yeah, there was there was the internet, but it was still very much the so, wild west. Yeah, sure. it wasn't very well organized. Mm. You know, our first URL, our first web page, was on the Indiana University server. It was www.indiana.edu backslash tilde cl swanso backslash secretly Canadian html. You know, and I and I hand I hand coded the whole thing in in hard. HTML and it was it's very hilarious. You know? Yeah. When you see old flyers that we put together or, or catalogs, you'd see that long <laughs> that long uh, URL and it was just like, well, that was our 
free option. Yeah. So in terms of that seven inch alone, mm-hmm. can you remember how much it cost? How much you how much you budgeted for to to make that happen? Yeah, back then I think you know the I think it was about a, about a dollar per unit for the for the vinyl, and then I think we maybe spent another. You know, it, it, we weren't very savvy. You know, maybe an extra. 75 cents per unit for the artwork you know okay. um, you know so and we were selling them for two dollars and 25 cents wholesale so you know like there was a margin it was very slim yeah but um, you made it back because you sold them all right yeah we made it back sure. um you know and we probably split a profit with jason of like a few hundred dollars you know yeah. but you know it was like we won the lottery yeah yeah um how did you fund that did we just funding that with jobs and yeah we well um three of us were in university so you know we, we all had like savings from our summer jobs or you know um borrowing a little bit of money from our parents but it, it was very much we each put in like at that point i think and we were also um, doing a, a cd at the time also by a, a fargo north dakota artist named june panic and um, so I think we each put in fifteen hundred or two thousand dollars, you know. So we had like a pot of six to eight thousand dollars that we had that we were going to have to operate on. We didn't have rent because we, we were just doing it in Italy. Yeah, yeah, and and um, we weren't paying for advertising or anything. It was there was just no overhead. We weren't paying ourselves, and so um, we thought it would take longer for us to recoup and be able to do another album, but that thing sold so fast that then we were able to kind of move into the next one and we kind of were quickly able to flip that. We, I think we were able to meet our promises with Jason that he, he, he agreed to do his first full length with us. And, you know, we just learned so much from Jason on the back of his career and his fan base growing that we kind of, as long as we didn't, weren't too many steps behind him on the learning curve where he was such that he would notice that we were, you know, just learning off, you know, off of his, his uh, growth that um that we would you know keep him happy and be able to continue to learn with each new kind of plateau Mm. so this is in 1996 Mm -hmm. what is the the landscape of people pressing their own records and Mm -hmm. uh, are there many people doing this at this time are you out there on your own there were a lot it wasn't yeah i mean at the time i probably had 25 favorite diy labels okay and that was an era where i had just you know being at the radio station and I took great pride. We we would we, we that that year, Eric, um, one of the founders, and I. He was a co-music director at WIUS. We instituted a kind of controversial rule at the station that X percentage of your playlist during your um, your DJ slot needed to be independent. You know, right. like we we were really pro. I stopped listening to anything on major labels, even by my favorite bands, for a good five years. You know, it, we, it was very much like we we very much believed in the. DIY, the politics of releasing on a DIY level too. Um, but yeah, there, the, the label culture was thriving at the time. It was whilst looking at these other DIY labels that Chris's entrepreneurial gene kicked in and he thought of another way to help fund the records he was releasing. Secretly Canadian had spent its first year developing an international infrastructure by opening distribution accounts across the world. The problem is it can take a long time for distributors to pay labels, especially if you're small and releasing few records infrequently. Realising this, Secretly used their contacts to set up Secretly Distribution, a company that would help fellow indies get their records into stores whilst providing an extra income that would prove to be invaluable. 
Today, secretly distribute records for 50 other independent labels. And in a music industry where record sales are only heading in the wrong direction, secretly distribution wouldn't be the only spin-off company that would take a little pressure off the artists that they were releasing. And all of this really started with another independent label that was run by one person and based in Virginia. Um, that's when I met Darius from Jack Jaguar, who'd started Jack Jaguar in uh, Charlottesville at the same time as we started Secretly Canadian. I was a fan of the albums he was putting out. I, I heard them through the radio station. And um, in, other, in labels like Western Vinyl and Temporary Residence Limited. And we were like, the thing they, these labels had in common other than great music and, um, and they, they worked really hard is they were run by one person. And here we were, we were four people, you know, and we were like, hey, we have a lot of manpower relative to most startups. And so we reached out to these people and said, hey, would you like us to be your sales force? We'll be your distributor. We'll just take 50 cents off the top. You ship us your inventory and we'll, we'll feed it to this customer base that we're creating, this international one. And they, you know, it took them a minute to kind of figure it. And they're like, yeah, that'd be great. And that was a great moment for us. Not only did it kind of lubricate the, you know, the, the relationship with these distributors and got it just made it a more dynamic relationship. They'd order more often and pay us more regularly. We just had a little more leverage within the relationship. But it, it was great because you know, we knew that um, any sort of profits we'd make on, on the albums we were releasing on Secretly would be modest and we would want to invest it back into the label. And so all of a sudden being able to make a little bit of money is so modest, 50 cents in hindsight is you know, near comical. Um, but it was like, okay, so that can help our overhead a little bit. And it's volume based, you know, and, and we don't have to have the relationship with the artists, you know. It's, it, it, and it was the start of us realizing that we loved having relationships with other A&R people that had a point of view. And it really helped us build a robust international infrastructure sales-wise. And it kind of also, created a school of fish um, energy with us that we were kind of a pack of like, you know, we were all small labels. You know, we looked at other packs that were much bigger, like the touch and go family mm -hmm. of labels, you know, there's touch and go and quarter stick and drag city, thrill jockey, merge, you know, atavistic um, skin graft, you know, everything within that constellation of that family of labels was just, they were gods, you know, they were, they were nailing it. And that, that was the pinnacle of success. Uh, on, a, on an independent level. And so we were kind of replicating that on a small microcosmic level and it gave us confidence, you know, and it, it, it helped on a smaller level, but build up scale. And, and, and I think the most valuable thing out of it was it, you know, developed a, a really, you know, beautiful friendship with Darius Van Arman, who'd started Jag Jaguar and he and I became really close and, you know, really good friends. And we would stay up late at night my girlfriend would kind of always kind of uh, jab me because she's like you have this love affair this long distance love affair because we would stay up late at night you know daydreaming about <laughs> you know releasing albums you know and eventually in late 1998 a couple of years into both of the labels he, he called me and, um, and he was like listen I, I love what I'm doing but I kind of feel like I'm on an island a little bit I, I look at what you guys are doing and, and I, I'm craving a team you know I want a partnership would, would you be my partner? And I was like, yes, I will be your partner. Only thing, would, can, you, can you relocate to Bloomington? Which felt like a tall order because, well, Charlottesville was very much a similar city to, to Bloomington, but uh, it, it, it was a tall order, but he said yes. And he moved a few months later in January of, of 99, and we became partners. And at first we were running the labels side by side, um, keeping the separate distinct um, um, brands intact. And then eventually, um, 
we folded and Darius became a partner secretly and Ben and Jonathan became a partner at JAG. And, um, but it was, it was great. That was a big, I think, developmental step for us because yeah. it helped diversify. There's complicated aspects of running two distinct um, labels side by side, but I think it, it, it helped us diversify what we were doing and, and gave us, um, to use a, a, a baseball um, uh, metaphor, just more at-bats, you know, just allowed us to kind of put out more releases and more opportunities to both succeed and fail mm. and, and learn faster. So that was so that's 99 when, yeah. when Darius moves to Bloomington. Yeah. In terms of helping those other labels with that yeah. distribution, mm-hmm. that's around 97-ish. Yeah, yeah. About a year. I'd say around early 97. Yeah. Okay. Did the four of you at any point... Or at what point, should I say, did you split responsibilities? Took us a while. Okay. Once we finally did really embrace that, and I think there's been multiple layers of it, um, it was it was key. At first, we were all kind of on each other, everyone doing wanting to do the same thing, design the album covers, design the website, do sales, do accounting. You know, I think an early example was, um, you know, like I was like, I'll, I'll run the books, you know, I'll cut the checks and and set up the Quick, QuickBooks account. I'd had, you know, quite a few accounting classes in high school and early college. And that's the kind of job that no one wants. Yeah, they were quick to, that, I think that's why no one was crowding me. You know, they're like, <laughs> right. oh, cool, go for it, do it, you got it. You know, and then I think early on, then I think another, you know, division of labor um, moment was Ben took on the sales role. He would, he really started to kind of take point on um, the relationship with distributors and accounts. And then Jonathan um, really focused on PR, radio, and then once once we learned what synch- synchronization and TV and film was, he, he manned that. And Eric, in the early days, focused on a lot of writing a lot of the copy, although a lot of us did. He was kind of the main um, writer, you know, he would write a lot of the, a lot of the copy. And um, Darius, when he came on board, he focused a lot on production. He had a pre-press background and he was the one who was like, hey, when I move there, maybe we might another way kind of adjacent to distribution as a a means to cover our overhead um, so we can quit our coffee shop and record store jobs. Um, We could start a a CD brokering company because like there were there were many goals like to expand our distribution base to, to sell more records and everything. But a big early metric of our growth as a company was how cheap can we get CDs for mm-hmm. manufactured and dare, you know, and, and that was constantly with each new pressing, especially as bands like songs Ohio were growing for us and each subsequent release we put out would double in size because the base was growing. Um, you know, so we would go from initial pressing of 1000 units to, to two, then four, then eight, you know? And so the game was, how can we get our, get the best rates for manufacturing and Darius quickly, saw that, you know, what if we brokered CDs for these other labels we're distributing? Or maybe anyone off the street, it doesn't have to be, we don't have to have an aesthetic criteria. And so we started Bellwether Manufacturing. And um, it, it, A, helped us drive down our manufacturing costs, which was at that time, you know, one of the, you know, manufacturing was a key. We didn't really spend much on recording. We didn't really know what to spend on marketing. We did our own publicity, you know. So like manufacturing was the big expense. And if we could keep shaving five cents here, five cents there off manufacturing, that's great business. And especially, and if we can get our volume up by having other people's albums going through us, you know, that was a way to make some money and drive our cost down. I mean, how did you even know how to set that up? Because that's almost like a whole nother 
that's a whole other thing almost to releasing a record yeah uh, our, our first employee was hired Mary was hired just to focus on bellwether manufacturing and do pre-press and everything it was crazy we were multitasking like mad creating systems um, to streamline processes and we were doing a lot yeah you know the first I'd say eight years were you know 60 70 hour weeks is that company still Every, in existence you still have that on no we folded that maybe five years ago okay um, you know with the CD peak peak sure. of CDs and then the slow decline you know we had a few years after it peaked where you know a few years of where we lost money on it but we kept it open because it was such a valuable resource um, for the processes were so valuable they became a backbone for not only was did Bellwether manage the production of Secretly Canadian and Jag Jaguar and Dead Ocean Secretly Group releases but also all our distributed labels mm-hmm. and um, having transparency into the process of manufacturing was crucial because one of the, at the time spent when physical dominated um, distribution sales getting new product on time or getting it late was the biggest problem a distributor could face right. and um, and so having a transparent you know access to, to see where things were in the pipeline was important and so we were terrified to shut down Bellwether even though we recognized that it was kind of a drain on our focus mm. and we were losing money on it you know we were just terrified of losing that part of the process did you have a factory did you have no we we were a middle person between okay. factories and we would broker print you know the print art and jackets and mm-hmm. vinyl and, and and cds and and jewel cases you know we would we outsource many 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 different vendors you know sure um and we were constantly looking for the right fit for the for each specific job and and spreading it out because some vendors just they couldn't handle too much volume you know it, it was it was complex you know i think at, at its peak bellwether probably had 10 to 12 employees it was a solid small business you know um it, once we finally stopped it it felt like a real point of Man, it was maybe 2011, 2012, um, where we, when we stopped it, it was, it felt like all of a sudden we had this renewed focus mm. on what we really wanted to do. You know, we wanted to add value to artists' work. You know, production was not something where we were adding a, a lot of value. It was, you know, it was a job, it was a service, but we weren't adding value to careers. You know, it's something that can be easily, we were easily replaced elsewhere in the in the ecosystem yeah we wanted to focus on areas where we had something really unique to contribute yeah as a company and um and so it was it was a felt like a grown-up moment to Mm. to actually we at that point started many companies three labels um a distribution company a and the manufacturing company it felt like a really grown-up thing to actually shutter one when we realized that it wasn't wasn't working yeah, and we weren't we weren't adding that unique special sauce. Mm. It sounds like from uh, from really early on, the four of you had the focus to know that it wasn't enough to just release a record. It wasn't enough to just be that thing. Yeah, you, you had to. You saw that you needed distribution, mm-hmm. and you could help others do that, and that could be another income. And you saw that you could bring your production costs down and help others and make yeah. money from that by doing another one. As you say, you know, you had an interest in being an entrepreneur mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've also had this passion for, for releasing records, mm-hmm. but you, 
that's quite a lot of foresight, especially that early on. It took you if it was each one. I think I'd say each move was a direct response to like an impulse we encountered. You know, a problem. Like for instance. I remember, I won't name the band name, but there was a moment, you know, I think that neither Jag Jaguar nor Secretly had put out more than a dozen releases at the time. You know, and we were constantly trying to figure out how do we sign bands? A, we need to be really passionate about what they're doing, but B, it'd be great if they were, they would contribute to us growing. Mm-hmm. You know, not just having more bands, more artists, but where they were, they grew in stature. You know, the, the type of band we could work with was larger, we could service greater needs, you know. And there was one artist in particular that we thought, based on our access um, to them, we heard they were looking for a label and they had a fan base. Like they, they could sell 10,000 records, which that, at that point was, that was serious, you know. That would, they would have been like our second biggest band, you know, but it was an artist that we weren't passionate about. But we, we kind of did some hand-wringing over it, like should we sign them? And, you know, I'm really glad we didn't. Um, yes, we would have learned with, you know, with where they were. We would have learned, but we, we didn't want to be motivated. At the time, it was important that we weren't purely motivated by how they would contribute to our bottom line. But that was an impulse we really did have to encounter. It's like, God, that would be great. That would really simplify certain things. And so we kind of had, at that moment, um, created a new kind of um, mantra that, you know, we aren't profit motivated alone. That's, that's, that's like, we, that was down on the totem pole of, you know, the hierarchy of priorities, the profit motive when it came to the albums we released on our, on Secretly and on JAG. Um, it, it, it was more what we, we wanted to say things with, um, you know, what, what the artists had to say, you know, how is it contributing to culture? How is it contributing to the, the arts? You know, we, that was much higher on our hierarchy of priorities. But in the void that created, not letting profit be our primary motivation, we're like, but how are we going to not have to, you know, have free up our days so we can work these really intense long days so that we can um, focus on our passion? And we're like, well, bellwether manufacturing and, and secretly distribution, those can be have a profit motivation. Right. Yes, they're informed by aesthetics and you know and everything, but they can they can be a profit motivation. Um, they don't we don't have to be quite as precious um, with our branding and whatnot with with those two. And so we saw those as kind of a means to an end. So that that's kind of what drove us, and that's where we're like, okay, it's worth putting all this energy into creating this bellwether manufacturing because it's, it's that's better it keeps us in this office, our headquarters, rather than having to be making lattes for record store buyers, you know, for eight hours a day. Yeah. As this is growing and you, you're, you're, you're starting these other arms of it, is it all funded off of profits of the records you're putting out and yeah. they're getting bigger? You didn't have a cash we got, injection? Or? We got a few family loans, but I, it never really exceeded like ten or $15,000 sure. across all four partners. Yeah, we never really had to dig too deep, um, never had to go into too much debt. Mm. It was... Um, yeah, we, we've been very lucky on a cash flow level. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and we had some early successes, like we distributed a great label called Made in Mexico from Seattle, Washington, and, and their first signing was a uh, band Pedro the Lion. And at the time, Pedro the Lion uh, put out an EP and then a full length, and the full length sold like 45,000 albums, you know. And at the time, that was... That was big. Yeah. You know, uh, side by side with Jason Molina... That was bigger, 
um, by a magnitude of order than where Jason Molina was with Songs of High at the time. But we not only were learning a lot, but that was really incredible for our cash flow, you know, um, and, and it kept the, uh, and we were really good about organizing, like, you know, our payment schedule to, um, to labels and to vendors um, in, in a way where, you know, we were able to live off a float of, of cash, you know, and it, it, it was, it was really helpful. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. How different is it now in terms of the industry, in terms of, I mean, how many records do you put out now in, in, a, in a... We try to put out uh, no more than eight mainline releases per okay. label. Um, and by main, you know, full length, um, you know, non-reissue, non-EP, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and but, so, but sometimes you might have, uh, across the three, eight, so eight per label. Yeah, so have 24, three three sure. How does it work in terms of those kind of the margins and the, the margins have changed radically you know like um, as CDs decline there's not a, a big margin uh, the margin on vinyl is, is is pretty pretty thin and I think the big difference is um, what it costs to make albums or to, to you know to get the rights to albums you know to do deals with artists is um, you know, it's very competitive and artists have options and so that's expensive just to just to start um, the process with an artist is expensive. Just to get them in the door is very expensive. And then our marketing budgets are quite intense. Hiring publicists, radio pluggers. Yeah, if you look at our marketing budgets now, they've changed radically in the last ten years. Yeah, and to do it, to to run an international campaign is radically different. Yeah, yeah. Do you think it would be possible to start now in the same way that you did? We talk about that a lot, actually, that if, if, if we had the same level of industriousness and the same passion level, the same tastes, but maybe adjusted for today's culture and marketplace, it would be really hard for us to build the team we have. To achieve the sort of scale, to sign artists that would perform well enough and to have them for contiguous releases, such that you can afford to build the the team of experts that we've been lucky enough to build because um, catalog contributes to so much of our overhead now 
to be catalog free and start afresh and have a team of experts, which you kind of need in order to do deals now, mm. it's hard. Mm. You know, and that there, and that's where we, you know, we try to um, be a real resource distribution side to our distributed labels, especially some of the younger ones who are just starting off. We've got great taste. They have great marketing minds. They have great relationships with their artists. You know, how can we help them um, with some of their marketing challenges or let them tap into expertise that would be too expensive for them to hire and supply on their own? Sure. Things. And now you've got you've got an office here in London. Mm-hmm. You've got one in Brooklyn, L.A., Paris, and Bloomington. Is that Bloomington is our our headquarters in uh, Chicago. It's our numero group office. Yeah. And Austin, and Texas. Austin. Mm-hmm. So that's seven offices around the world mm-hmm. in total. And we've got, we've got a, a people in Amsterdam and Berlin also. Are you still based in Bloomington? Uh, Los Angeles. Okay. Yeah. Is it important to you guys, though, to have a base in Bloomington? Absolutely. Still? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I still go back to Bloomington. Um, I have a place there still. Sure. Yeah, it's our headquarters. You know, um, my brother is still there. Um, it's, it's crucial. It's kind of what... Uh, it's like the heart of our culture, mm. you know, is our Bloomington, our Bloomington base, you know, um, it's, I, I like it. It's not as susceptible to kind of group think it's, you know, it's off, off the grid in a lot of great ways. There's a lot of benefits to it. It's really easy to, to focus and do really good hard work there and get a recharge, you know, I, I love it. And we just have a great team and just, um, great team there. We've got some of our, our key staff in Bloomington. What do you see as the future of Secretly? Do you have what is there left for you to achieve as a record label? We've been trying the last couple of years to trust our imaginations more and our own like fan experiences more, and not have there be such a gap between what we listen to as passionate fans of music and what we work on, you know, on, and what artists we work with. You know, there used to be a pretty delineated gap you know we going back to the, like i feel like we limited what we did based on what we've done in the past you know we've we, we kind of chosen a lane to become you know expert in and, and you know i'm just really focused on that and i feel like we've we've a, a few years ago we tried to be like you know we should just trust our labels are in the background you know we're, we're in the back room you know fans are less sensitive to um brands now now than ever, you know, um, it'd be a shame for us to completely limit ourselves and, and, and to have there be a distinction between who we are as fans and who we are um, as professionals. And so I think that's we've been trying to break that down and try to figure out how to um, apply what our teams work on and the systems that they employ and the processes um, um, to all different kinds of music. And so that's, I think, been a really fun challenge and um, I think really energize us. Music Made Me Do It is produced by Dream Team and Loud and Quiet and edited by Emma Snook. For more information, please visit loudandquiet.com and subscribe on your favorite podcast app to receive all future episodes. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.